Now, can you guys imagine staying in kindergarten all your life? While there is certainly some comfort and satisfaction that I'm sure you would experience, um, you'd probably be very good at coloring. Uh, you'd probably enjoy playing on the playground, get very good at it. But you could never become all that God created you to be. I believe that in church, there are two groups of people that need this message this morning. Because I believe that there are many of us that even though we laugh at that, there's a little bit of kindergarten running around in us. Um, there are two groups of people that really need this message this morning. The first are those who have never grown spiritually. You're still in kindergarten. You barely know enough about God to be able to carry on a conversation with others. For you, my hope is that through the series that I begin this morning with you, you'll be encouraged to grow up in a spiritual sense, that you'll move out of kindergarten, maybe only to first grade to begin with, but that's a start. You got to start somewhere. Maybe you'll already make it through high school by the time we're done. Who knows? The second group of people would be those who moved on from kindergarten, but somewhere along the way you forgot the things that you were taught way back then. In your case, you need to be reminded of the foundational truths of God's Word, the basics of our faith. These two groups are represented in a recent survey by George Barna, which determined that biblical knowledge and understanding is at an all-time low in our nation. It was determined that most, more than 50%, most Christians, not just people out in the world that know nothing about the church, but most Christians did not even know what the Great Commission was, what an evangelical was, what John 3.16 was, or what the gospel was. Add to this the idea that fewer than half of those who called themselves Christians saw Christ as the only way to salvation and doubted whether the word of God was truly inspired by God. And I suggest that far too many of us need to go back to kindergarten to relearn the basics of our faith. The central focus throughout this series will be from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's just a single verse that would have served almost as a benediction for Peter's final letter. But it is also a challenge to all those who would call themselves Christians. Listen to what it says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we are called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, to get to know more about God, to understand him, to realize how much grace, how much goodness he has shown to us. In other words, it's not enough to be able to call ourselves Christians. Instead, we ought to be growing in both grace and knowledge. As we do that today, I think it's important for us to begin by knowing what spiritual growth is and what it is not. What does it mean for us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God? Is it enough just to have some information or is there more to it? Let's start with what it is not. Spiritual growth is not about our position in Christ. 
I will tell you that at the very moment that you believe in Jesus, that you put your trust, your faith in him, that your position in Christ is made clear. You are redeemed. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Your position in Christ is, the mo- is available at the moment that you surrender your life to him. You repent of your sins. You confess to him. You believe that he is the Lord, and you actually choose to be his child. He's made it available to you. Your position is settled at the moment of salvation. Spiritual growth is not about God's favor. Some of you maybe think to yourself, well, sure it is, because if, if I'm really growing spiritually, God will bless and he'll give me all that I need. Some think that this favor is something that is earned as opposed to something that is given. If only I become good enough, then I'll have God's favor. If I become good enough, then God will bless and then he'll be pleased and then he'll provide everything that I could ever need. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says that we may understand what God has freely given to us. We need to understand that our position, our salvation, the Savior that gave everything to us did not do so dependent upon how good we are. He offered us the gift of salvation, and the key word there is gift. Spiritual growth is not about time. It's not about how long you've been a Christian because just the the fact that you've been a Christian for a long time does not mean that you are mature. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is addressing his followers, those who had uh, received Christ through his ministry. But the problem is these were folks that he had addressed long ago. And here he is in 1 Corinthians 3 and he says, I had to feed you with milk. In other words, you you weren't really ready for solid food. I had to give you milk. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And then here it is, and you still aren't ready. Just because they had been Christians for a long time didn't mean they were spiritually mature. I would venture to say in a church with a large senior population, which this church would fit in that category, that there may be some who think that, well, you know what, I've been in church for 20, 30, 40 years. That makes me spiritually mature. We look at individuals who have been in church for a long time, and we simply assume, well, that must be a great man of God, or that must be a great woman of God. But the mere fact that we are older, the mere fact that we have been in the body of Christ for a long time does not make us spiritually mature. Is it possible that one who has been in the church for a long time can be spiritually mature? Absolutely. But it's not a guarantee. Spiritual growth is not about prosperity. Luke chapter 21 tells the story of people who were going to worship. And as they went to worship, Jesus was kind of standing back watching, and there were individuals who were coming who they were offering a great offering because they had a great amount of prosperity. But there is this woman who comes up, and she's a widow, and she gives her offering, and it's referred to as the widow's might. This lady gives everything that she has, which is next to nothing. 
And Jesus says to those who are listening that this woman has given more than all of these others. What he's saying is, even though this woman may have nothing, may be incredibly poor, this woman has a right relationship with God because she has given, not out of her excess, but as a sacrifice. To assume that if you are spiritually mature, that you will be prosperous, that you will have great financial reward, is actually a little bit foolish. There are some great people who love the Lord, whom God has chosen to bless in ways that do not include finances. Understand, prosperity is not necessarily a part of spiritual growth. Neither is activity in ministry. There are some who would say that, you know, if I serve in church, I must be spiritually mature because of the fact that I'm involved in the ministry. Well, you know what group of people was most involved in ministry during Jesus's day? We call them Pharisees. They were at the temple every day. They were there to quote unquote worship. They were there to study. They were there to know everything they could about God. Yet the fact that they served did not make them spiritually mature. Along those lines, knowledge does not make you spiritually mature either. Knowledge is a great thing, but I just talked about these Pharisees who had all this knowledge. I'll tell you what, they were some smart people. Well-educated, these were individuals who they knew exactly what the law required of them. They could quote long passages of scripture, probably even books of scripture, and we look at it and we struggle to remember one single verse. Sure, there are those verses we learned when we were kids, but if I asked you this week for everybody to come back and memorize 1 John chapter one by next Sunday, you guys would look at me like I was crazy. These were individuals who this was their heart. This is what they had been taught since they were very young. They knew the law. They had great knowledge. Yet their knowledge was not enough. They could quote books, commandments, but they were just empty words. It was in their heads, but it wasn't in their hearts. I like the way another pastor said it. He said, spiritual growth is matching my practice with my position. The position is found in the moment we surrender our lives to Christ. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but rather it means that we are forgiven. We are redeemed. It means that we now have a hope and a promise that after death there is a great reward that awaits us. But it's also a hope that this life can be changed. And this is where matching that position and practice come into play. It's not just about punching your ticket into heaven. This is about us realizing that Jesus Christ came to set us free in this life, not just in the life to come. He came to set us free so that we could be transformed and redeemed today, not just as a pipe dream of something that might take place somewhere further down the road. We need to realize that spiritual maturity is very much about connecting position and practice to one another. Because God redeemed me, because he forgave me, because he gave me a hope and a future, I will act as one who bears his name. I will grow to become more like him. That is what spiritual growth truly is.
I'll tell you that in order to do it, it is impossible to separate knowledge from grace. Going back to our passage this morning in First and Second Peter chapter 3, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. It is impossible if we're going to do this right to separate those two. It's impossible to separate position from practice. As we look in the coming weeks, we'll see the, the more we grow in the true knowledge of God, the more we become aware of the grace that he has extended to us. The more we begin to realize how much love was involved in what God did for us by sending Jesus Christ. Let me introduce to you this issue of knowledge and grace. Obviously, I can't cover it all, but I can at least get you started. The first thing that I want you to see is that there is only one true God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is recorded as God's message to the people of Israel. It was a necessary message as they were surrounded by enemy nations who seemed to practice something called polytheism. This is the belief that there are many gods, many different ways to God. But God says this cannot be true. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's not to say that he is one among many, but rather he is the only one. There is no other way. All these other gods that the nations around you worship, they're false gods. The God of fertility, the God of the harvest, the sun God, the God of war, the God of the sea, these are all false gods. All these other nations had their own gods and each one supposedly would help them depending on the situation that they faced or the struggle that was present. But the one true living God says no, there is only one God. All the others, they're phonies. They're useless. Perhaps the greatest demonstration of this is what occurred on Mount Carmel. On this occasion, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal. He says, I'll tell you what, we, what we're going to do. You guys offer a sacrifice to your God. And if your God responds, we'll know that he really is real, that he's powerful. If he doesn't, this is what we'll do. Then I'll offer a sacrifice to my God. And as my God responds, that will reveal that he is the one true God. Elijah decides to sweeten the pot a little bit. It's not just telling people that, hey, now we'll know which God it is. He says, tell you what, if my God choo chooses to show up and yours doesn't, then I get to kill all of you. How much do you trust your God? Well, 450 prophets of Baal will then stand up and offer sacrifices and attempt to get a response from a God that does not exist. And after they get their turn, Elijah gets his turn. To make sure that nobody thinks he's pulling a fast one, he has them pour water over the altar, over 
and over and over again. To think that God would show up and consume his sacrifice by fire after dousing it with water is the most ridiculous idea in the world. Yet Elijah kneels down and he says, Lord, show these people that you are the one true living God. And suddenly the fire consumes the sacrifice and the one true living God showed up. We need to know that there is only one way. There's only one God. There are many even today who believe that there are other gods. There are others who would lay claim to our God. There are those who would claim that all roads lead to Rome. So in other words, it doesn't matter which God you choose to serve. But I suggest to you that just as there is only one God, there is also only one way to that God. There is only one way to salvation, and it is through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying that there's no other way to get to heaven, to get to that God. Jesus Christ is the only way. On other occasions, he would refer to himself as the gate or as the door, suggesting that in order to enter in, you must go through him. In John 3.16, we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, He let Jesus die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That is a great sacrifice. I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it here or not. I'll tell you, I love everybody in this room. But if this building were to catch fire right now, as much as I love you, you are not the ones that I'm trying to get out of here first. I want to get my kids out. I want to make sure that my kids are safe. And then, I worry about everybody else. But God chose a different route. Some of you guys are disappointed. I can't believe that, Pastor. But God chose a different route. Instead of making sure that his children were safe first, he sent his children in to go and rescue those who were perishing. What an incredible sacrifice God offered by sending his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus had to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Some believe that simply by living a good life that they can enter into heaven. Some believe that after a series of reincarnations, an individual can reach a point of perfection or nirvana. And still others simply believe that through enough personal sacrifice, they can please their little G God. Notice that in all of these examples, there is no sacrifice on God's part. I want you to think about this just for a moment, and you guys are all really smart people, so I know you can handle this. If salvation were already available to humanity, 
without the sacrifice of God's Son. Just because we could work hard enough to be good, or just because we could sacrifice enough on our behalf, if salvation were already possible to humanity without the sacrifice of God's Son, don't you think that God would have chosen a different route? If God didn't have to sacrifice his children, why would he? It doesn't make any sense. Of course, he would have rescued his son. The night before Jesus was arrested and crucified, Jesus prayed, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to become the sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of all mankind. He willingly laid down his life for all of humanity and simply called upon us to believe, to trust in him, to surrender our lives to him. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ is truly the only way to salvation. No matter how good you are, it's not going to be good enough. No matter how much sacrifice you give, you will never be able to sacrifice enough. Yet Jesus Christ became our sacrifice. He laid down his life so that we could be forgiven. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Based on the statistics that I shared earlier, it is likely that there are those within the congregation this morning who desperately need to know that there is only one way to salvation. I'll start with those who have been in the church for a very long time. Some of you have been trying so hard to earn your salvation. But I assure you it's impossible to earn God's gift. Our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags to him. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to live godly lives, though. The fact is God expects us to live godly lives. In fact, 2 Peter 3.14 says, So then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, he wants us to live righteous lives. He wants us to live holy lives, but he doesn't want us to think that in any way that's going to earn us the gift of salvation. That is given as a gift simply because God loves you. Now, because he loves us, we ought to make every effort to live in a way that would honor him. As he saved you, we need to live like we've been redeemed. Still others have been a part of the church for a long time and have become a voice of confusion to the watching world. Although I clearly do not agree with the homosexual agenda, nor the direction that our government has taken in supporting this agenda, there is something admirable about what they've done. What is it that has made their voice so powerful? What is it that has given them so much influence over the past several years? It is their unity. It is the constant message which they deliver. 
They may not even like each other, but that's not the point. When they get in front of someone else, they are so clear that this is what they want. This is what they believe to be true. And I wonder, do we, as the body of Christ, do we display the same kind of unity? Do we proclaim the same message over and over again that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? The answer is no. Maybe at Trinity Wesleyan Church, we've done a good job of proclaiming it. And maybe if you were the only group that was polled, we would find that well over 50% of the population, the Christian population, would say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. I would hope that by the time you leave this morning, that you'll know it. And if someone asked you today, you'd have the answer. But the reality is the body of Christ has not been as united as it ought to be. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, no matter what anybody else says. We need to become a voice that proclaims his salvation to those who are around us. And finally, for those who are still seeking the Lord, maybe your hope has been based upon your own goodness. Maybe you've been hoping that next time around, you'll do better. Maybe you've been calling out to a false God. I'm going to do something that I do not consider dangerous at all. I am going to encourage you to call out to your false god, much like Elijah did. He encouraged them. You know, you think your God is really all-powerful and almighty? You call out to your God. And let me know if he shows up. But the time is coming where you are going to realize that your false God will never be enough. He cannot provide for you because he is nothing. You want to call out to your false God, please call out to your false God. But be man and woman enough to admit when you realize you've been worshiping the wrong God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The reason I can encourage you to go and to seek out those false gods is because I know already what you're gonna find, nothing. You're gonna find disappointment and discouragement. And I'm telling you already that when you begin to seek the Lord with all your heart, I know what you're going to find. You're going to find him, the one true living God who loves you more than life itself, loves you enough that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, for you. I challenge you today to realize that we, as the body of Christ, have a great gift that God has given. But as he has given us that gift, we now have a great privilege to go and share that with others. Do you truly believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? If so, let me ask you, what are you willing to do to introduce others to him?
I don't mean this in any way. My goal is not to guilt anybody or to shame anybody into thinking differently or to do something that maybe you probably should have been doing already. But I wonder, when was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you've told your story to someone else of God's redemption in your life? Amanda did such a beautiful job, but I love the fact that she told her story before she sang this morning. When was the last time you shared with others about what Jesus Christ has done for you? Do you really believe Jesus is the only way to salvation? Then let's do something about it. I know it's the summertime and some of us are out of work during the summer. Some of you guys are retired and you've got a really long summer ahead of you. I understand we don't see all the same people that we normally would see. But if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, then shouldn't we be doing something about the lost who are a part of our lives? Jesus is the only way to salvation. What will you do to introduce others to that salvation? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we begin with the act of confession. We recognize today that, first of all, there are many who attend church who perhaps they're just going through the motions. There are some who have been in church all their lives, and as they've been in church all their lives, there's this assumption that they must be okay spiritually because they've been here for a long time. There are others who perhaps, as they have been in church, they've been so caught up in doing good things, acts of service. They've been so faithful in their giving, thinking that that was enough. But the truth is, salvation is not found in any of those things. But Lord, we realize they are found only in you. Lord, I pray today that first of all, your Holy Spirit would come in and that you would perform miracles in us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sin. You tell us in your word that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins. We believe that today. So Lord, I pray that you would bring forgiveness and grace to us. But Lord, I also pray that you would bring an incredible sense of clarity to this body. Lord, help us to realize exactly how we were redeemed. It was because you loved us. It's because you willingly sent your son as our sacrifice. Lord, we are so honored to be a part of your family. Lord, help us to realize what an incredible blessing you've been to bring that gift to us. Lord, I pray today for perhaps some of the family members and friends that have come to mind over the last few moments. Folks that we love very much and we want very much to know that they will share in your eternal blessing, to know that they will spend eternity with you in heaven. But today we worry about if you were to come back today, they might not be ready. Lord, I pray today that you would give us just an incredible boldness and clarity 
Give us the ability to speak so that as we speak that their hearts would be open. I pray that your Holy Spirit would even go before us right now, begin to impress upon their hearts their desire, their need to know you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use us. It may be that for some of us, we have to sacrifice our comfort. We have to talk about things with people that maybe we don't normally talk about those things. Maybe for some of us, we're afraid of how they might respond. Maybe for some of us, we're afraid to speak because we simply, we don't know enough. Because we haven't spent time getting to know you. We've been content as infants, kindergartners who aren't ready to move forward. But I pray today that you would allow us to move forward. But I pray right now that you would give us a burden for the lost in this community. I pray that every individual that we come across, that they would look in us and see that we are different because of the presence of the Spirit of God and that you would open up doors for us to be able to proclaim your grace to them. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, I just want to give you the chance to personally respond. I'm not actually going to open the altar unless you just choose to come forward, but I would like to give you the chance to raise your hand this morning if necessary. Perhaps today, as I've shared, some of you realize that you've been worshiping the wrong God, or perhaps you've been trying to earn that salvation. And maybe today you would like to surrender your life to him. Much like those 10 teenagers who found the redeeming love of God this weekend. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? I would love to be able to pray for you. As soon as you do, put it back down. Thank you. Father, I pray for the one that just raised her hand. Lord, I thank you for being a gracious God who truly does forgive. Lord, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of your glory far too many times. But you are a good, redeeming, and gracious God. Lord, I pray that at this moment you would wipe away every sin. And Lord, I pray that you would begin a new journey for her. Lord, may your spirit have its way. Fill her, use her today. Lord, I pray that this would not be a one-time decision, but rather this would be a lifetime decision, that from this moment forward, she would walk as a woman of God, one who is growing in spiritual maturity, becoming all that you would have her be. Lord, may you be honored today as her life has changed. For the rest of us here today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly understand you, your heart, your love, and your sacrifice. Help us to offer it to those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What a privilege it is to know that our God is a gracious and loving God. He is a redeeming God. I don't know where you've been, but I know where I'm going, and I hope that you're going with me. I look forward to seeing how God works through you. As we close this morning, uh, I would like to just make one quick request.
if there is someone who has experience in folding up an American flag, I need your help. Not in the service here, but there are two flags that we borrowed for our presentation last week. And I didn't even want to take them down unless I knew they could be folded right. So if you know how to do that, I need you to come see me afterwards. I thank you for being a part of our service this morning. May God bless you as you work through him.